Hello, and welcome back, or for the first time, to Black Magic Treehouse, the podcast that you might have heard about from a friend of a friend. Foaf. F-O-A-F. I like to pause just in case you have... <laughs> I like to pause just in case you have any immediate comments. Uh, you're good. I am one... I am but one of two hosts of this show, and my name is Jose... And who's the other host? Well, I think that would be me, and my name's Eric. That would be you, and your name is Eric. We are just off to a great start here, folks. We are happy that you've journeyed all the way out in these lonesome, uh, windy woods of ours. And, uh, you know, of all the of all the tree houses you had to climb up to in all the lonesome, windy forests, she had to climb up mine. Uh, anyway, what are we talking about? Oh, uh, yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, if you don't know it yet, the premise of this whole show... Did we say the title yet? We dig into... Yeah, I said welcome to Black Magic Treehouse. Oh, I wasn't listening. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> Boy, setting a good... Setting the bar for our listeners as well. They're like, hey, <laughs> what happened? What did he say? I don't know. I've I've already turned the episode off. <laughs> hey, welcome to Black Magic Treehouse, the podcast where we barely listen to what we're talking about. My name is Jose, and this is Eric. All right. Anyway, um, if you don't already know it, the premise of the show is that we dig into the creepy kid culture of the past, one bargain bin item at a time. That's kind of our slogan, our motto. Uh, and what that boils down to is, uh, up until now, we've been focusing exclusively on books uh, because Eric and I were very cool kids growing up and had lots of friends. And it just happened to be that we also read tons of books. Um, still amazingly popular, though, uh, regardless of that. And we have decided with this episode to take a little bit of a turn we kind of intimated already that we would anyway um to take a look at some other media that uh was made for kids and had a bit of a a spooky flavor to it so that is what we're doing with today's episode which is um a tv show so if you hmm yeah don't know where i'm going with that one that's all right backpedal if you have ever seen a television show write in please yeah if you have any clues for solving this mystery please now so in previous episodes eric and i would kind of keep it a secret from each other as to what the topic of that day's episode would be um but we've just kind of found ourselves in a position where we've already kind of had to talk about this one so eric knows the topic it's not a surprise to anyone you know what the topic is you click play or this is just auto playing from our uh, four five what episode are we on um our previous beautiful episodes yeah what episode is this six i think six this is six yeah all right lucky six here we go uh but at any rate we know you know that today's episode is all about freaky stories freaky stories so i know we've talked a little bit about it already eric but just to get it on record because if you ever have to testify in court uh we want to make sure that we have a a good straight clean record here 
Have you ever heard of freaky stories before? Yes, when you mentioned it to me earlier. Well, well, that's a great track record. Uh, so no, no exposure to this whatsoever. Um, I recall there was a movie called Freaky Links, right? Or was that also a show? Freaky, Freaky Links? Links. Yeah, it was like about a. Like yeah, it was like about a website that was horrifying in some way, freaky, if you will. Interesting. That that sounds vaguely familiar. That was that also a uh, spoiler alert. Freaky Stories uh, was was aired on uh, the Fox Family Channel when it was known as the Fox Family Channel. Was Freaky Links another Fox Family Channel show? I literally have no idea. Okay, because for some reason you said Freaky Links, and maybe it's just because we're talking about Freaky Stories and it being a Fox Family show, I I felt like I made some kind of weird connection in my head. Like, did I see previews for a show called Freaky Links while I was busy watching Big Wolf on campus? I don't know. I don't know if that's a false memory that I just created for myself or not. What was that? Were you a Big Wolf on campus fan? I, I was going to say, it sounds familiar, but I don't remember. Was it like a... Teen Wolf, kind of, for the modern generation? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of, it definitely had Buffy vibes. Um, Not as smartly written, (laughs) if I recall. Um, But uh, it's kind of funny because the lead actor who played, you know, the Michael J. Fox, if you will, he was fine, you know, looking and whatever uh, as his, you know, his regular Joe Schmo character, but in his werewolf form, he looked totally awesome. Um, <laughs> he, he was, it, it was good that he, uh, he played the majority of his role in that guys. It was kind of like, I don't know. Um, Henry Hall from werewolf of London meets. Yeah. I guess you would say teen wolf. Uh, it like, you know, that awesome spiky hair that everybody had in the nineties and early two thousands. I kind of like his werewolf look felt like it kind of started from there and then just was molded. It was like molded around that. Like that was, that was the root of his lycanthropy was this amazing boy band, spiky hair. And then just sat on his head, like a beautiful lupine crown <laughs> and just everything stemmed from there. Um, but yeah, very Buffy in tone. Like I feel like it had like monsters of the week, um, like I feel like there was a Medusa kind of opponent at some point, but it was great fun. I watched it a lot. Okay, Freaky Links. I just looked it up, and it aired on Fox, regular old Fox. Oh, regular old Fox, not the How family. No, no, to hell with the family. Um, yeah, when you mentioned the premise of Freaky Links, the only thing that sounded. Uh, that that made me think of that I don't think I really watched because it seemed boring. Um, but early in the mornings before Nickelodeon became Nickelodeon proper and it was like Noggin or whatever it was supposed to be like Noggin or what was it? Nick at night. Oh no, it wasn't Nick at night. I want to say in the early morning it was Noggin. They would show a uh, ghost rider. Were you a ghost rider watcher at all? Oh yeah. 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 Was that on Nick? I remember it being on PBS. Uh, I think it was on both. So, yeah, like, I, I feel like I recall seeing it on PBS. Yeah, I was in the school, uh, I don't know if you call it a fan club, but I was in a, a group where you stayed after school and watched and discussed 
Ghost Rider episodes in, I don't know, second grade or whatever. Wow, that's amazing. Because that did not seem like the kind of show that would would uh, motivate a fandom or a fan club. But Well, hey, you'd be wrong. Look at that. Clearly, <laughs> clearly I would be. Going back to what you said earlier about how uh, popular we were. Yeah, precisely. Um, so listeners, have you all enjoyed how we haven't really talked about the topic for today's episode really at all? Um, we kind of figured this was going to happen, though, just because it touches on so many other areas of our childhood. Uh, so, you know, whether we devote 10 minutes or 30 minutes to freaky stories, it really remains to be seen. But so far... I'm enjoying myself, and hopefully you're not a diehard Freaky Stories fan and have gotten so pissed off that you've turned off the uh, the episode. But we're just going to just chug right along here. So when I think back, I actually have pretty crystal clear memories of... This kind of seems terrible to say, um, but you know how certain historical events like the assassination of JFK or the moon landing or even things like 9-11, there's always that phrase that kind of comes along with it. You remember where you were when. Um, so I feel somewhat crass in using that same that same line or that same thought to explain that I remember where I was when the Fox Family Channel first debuted. Uh, um, I was at my grandparents' house. I feel like this was the day after a sleepover. And it was so weird because I remember, I, th- I think it was for us, it was on channel 55. I remember the TV just being turned to that channel. It, it really, you know, it's, it's so weird how certain moments from childhood have like the quality of a dream. Like, how did this happen? Like, there, there's just no explanation I can think of. Um, but I was just sitting there in the living room. The TV was turned to that channel. It was like... I don't know, the kind of stuff that you would see in the middle of the night, you know, back during prime cable days, uh, the, the kind of like infomercial. 700 Club? Yeah, 700 Club infomercials. And then like all of a sudden, it seemed like to me there was like, I, I can't remember if there was like some formal announcement or like some big to do like presenting the Fox Family Channel but the next thing I knew, I was sitting there and I was watching Pee-wee's Playhouse. And I had like no prior introduction to Pee-wee Herman. So that whole, to be, to be blindsided by Pee-wee Herman at such an impressionable age, I don't know, <laughs> it feels like a crime um, of some kind. But uh, yeah, there I was. And that was like my very first exposure to the Fox Family Channel. Have <laughs> what 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 has your experience been with the uh, the career of Mister Herman? May I ask? Oh, what a tangent! Um, <laughs> well, I've never been bla- every time I've tried to watch Pee Wee Herman. I I sought him out intentionally. I've never been like uh, surprised by a, a Pee Wee Herman appearance. <laughs> oh, but that's the best kind. I think mainly just the movie um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is my my. I probably shouldn't say entry point, but uh, the the oeuvre of a Paul Rubens is primarily defined by that. I saw Big Top Pee Wee once; it was not very good. For yeah, what that's I recall. all. 
<laughs> yeah, the only part I remember is like, I think there's a part where his girlfriend or somebody gives him like a sandwich or something, and then it's really bad. And then when she turns away, he like spits it out, and it goes like a mile, <laughs> like it's been shot out of a cannon or something. Do you recall that? That's pretty good, though. I wish I had remembered that. I feel like I just remember the very beginning of that movie. And am I wrong in recalling that there's like, like, do they do the breakfast machine again in that movie? I, I, he's like on a farm for some reason. It's really weird. Yes, I recall that there is a farm. <laughs> that might be it. Yeah, that's about it for me, too. Um, but so, yeah, you've never really seen the show at all. Not so much. I recall an episode where they were um, mixing ice cream with chocolate syrup and the little um, Doogie Hauser puppet. I don't remember his name. It was like Randy you mean or something. Howdy Doody. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is redundant to say a Howdy Doody puppet. But there was like a little ginger ventriloquist dummy or something yeah. that was like a bully. Yeah, that's Randy. Am I, I believe. Was this a. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, is this like a fever dream? Did this actually happen? <laughs> um, fever dream. And he put too much chocolate syrup in the vanilla ice cream. And they were like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And then the solution was to add more vanilla ice cream to balance it out. Mm. Oh, I also remember uh, this was not this was before a show. What put him on the map was that HBO special. Did you ever see that? Um no. I don't remember what it was called. It might have been just called like the Pee Wee Herman show or something. I, I think so. Uh but he had like a live stage show, yeah. yeah, that evolved from his like time in the groundlings. And we had like a VHS copy of that because my mom really loved it and it was um there was some pretty raunchy stuff in there considering that he became like a children's show icon. Like putting mirrors on his shoe to look up a girl's skin yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh and uh, Phil Hartman was in it as <laughs> Phil Hartman was in it as Captain Carl, and Jombie the Genie, I think was his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never seen. Anyway. The, uh, I've never seen the HBO special, but um, we actually have the the whole Pee Wee's Playhouse um, set on DVD, and uh, we actually have shown it to like my daughter and. Um, you know, she she's actually enjoyed it. She loves the Christmas special, um, which is quite a bit of fun. Do they spend the whole time wishing for snow and then at the end it snows? No, not quite. Uh, the premise uh-huh. there, you know, I guess you could say. I thought that, that was a pretty safe prediction. <laughs> it is, as far as Christmas specials go. Um, I like the A storyline is that Pee Wee just has an insanely long wish list and you know everybody's like oh Pee Wee, you know what are you doing asking for all this stuff and then by the end when santa you know comes to deliver all of his toys he's like well i got everything you asked for but there's not enough for the rest of the kids in the world <laughs> and peewee's like oh okay fine and he you know travels with him around the world to deliver the presents but there's it's it's almost um it's played like a uh like a holiday special that you would see from an old school variety show because it has like i don't know 15 celebrity guest appearances in it mm-hmm. like uh you know frankie avalon and annette funicello uh little richard of course you know things like that yeah naturally it's the 80s you know early 90s um 
So it's it's actually really cute. Yeah, I don't think Little Richard ever said no to a guest appearance. <laughs> no. He he was on everything. Seriously. He was everywhere. Um but I don't know, it's kinda of funny that, you know, my daughter took to it so well. Maybe it was just the surprise factor of never having really heard of this person before and just up until that point, not even realizing that this was a, a channel for kids like it literally came out of the blue um so i have very clear memories of watching Wee's playhouse during those first few days of um the fox family channel there's one other show uh well i should say two other shows one of which is freaky stories the other show that i have very clear memories i don't know so much right from the beginning as much like Pee-wee's Playhouse, but I remember definitely becoming a fan of the show in the years uh, to come. Uh, there was a show called Walter Mellon. Does that do anything for you? It does a lot for me. <laughs> so you, you've uh, you've seen Walter Mellon in all his glory? Oh, no, that wasn't the question. The question was, does Walter Mellon do anything for me? And Jesus Christ, Eric. based on the name uh, alone, <laughs> I would say yes, it does. It makes me quite happy. Wow. Okay. Well, fair enough. Should I guess what it was? Good. It sounds like it would have been like a, a weirdo stop motion Gumby ripoff with a guy who has a watermelon head. You know, that is, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. There's a show there, I would say for sure. Um, that's not what Walter Mellon was. Um but I would say your your um, your prediction definitely deserves a it definitely deserves a green light. So you know, Hollywood executives from twenty years ago get on that um, and and make it a reality in the past. Uh, now Walter Mellon was like a traditionally animated show um, that apparently was ba- uh, loosely based on a French comic. Um, don't ask me for the name. I could look it up, but I'd mispronounce it anyway. Um, but anyway, I guess roughly translated to the English Walter Mellon. And the way like Wikipedia, the way <laughs> Wikipedia describes it is like, oh, he got that name because he, he has a huge nose and it's shaped like a melon, which I don't know. Um, that seems dubious to me I'm, i am gonna try to pull up a picture just to send you that seems like a dubious description to me because it's like well it's a big nose but i feel like it could look like anything <laughs> not specifically a melon um here's like a little screen grab right here honestly it's it's more when i look at it it feels more tumorous to me than anything um that's bleak do, do, do. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but hey, that's that's the reality. How do I how do I breathe without you? All right, uh, did you get that? Let me check. Oh, it's a YouTube App clip. Even. Yeah, it's like a screen grab. Is it a YouTube clip that's playing? Sitting through an ad for Wix dot com. Oh, that's so weird because I thought I just sent. Can you the... hear it? A little bit. I thought I just sent the link to the uh, oh, picture from Google Images. Uh, well, you did not. <laughs> All right, then. Mission accomplished. 
Yeah, I don't think there's anything particularly melanopic about his nose. It just looks like a large cartoon nose. Right. Yeah. So I don't think that Wikipedia description stands up to snuff. I will say it looks a lot. uh, I was picturing something kind of horrifying and it's not. (laughs) It just looks like a typical early '90s show, like um, uh, I don't know, like a, an adaptation of a Jim Carrey movie that was never made or something. Well, it's funny you say that um, because the not gag. Oh, I guess I guess you could say that the gag of at least the first season is that, and the gag of the first season is that he's basically like a secret agent of some kind, and in every episode and each episode had like two stories um you know kind of like rugrats and hey arnold in each story he would be in the guise of like a famous pop culture character so like in one episode he was rambo uh in and in another one he was indiana jones um and of course he being walter mellon in the guise of these like wonderful uh epic heroes you know superman batman and the like uh he's on the bumbling side so he never quite gets it right and there's like a recurring villain that basically is a stand-in for all the villains that you would see in 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 those um in the original stories so he would be like i guess dressed up as the joker in one episode and then, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but I really loved it. And I guess it was just because I was at that age where I felt like I knew enough about these things that um, there was that note of recognition in it for me. But uh, I, I just kind of uh, in, enjoyed the referential nature of it. Um, and, and Yeah, well, I'll tell you, uh, the episode that you sent me here are the titles of the two segments. Oh One of them, I think, works better as a parody than the other. Maybe you can figure out which. Back to Melon's Blundering Future. Wow. And New Age Pizza Lovin' Taekwondo Tortoises. <laughs> yeah. You may recognize the two properties that are being referenced there. Yes, Pride and Prejudice and Titanic classics correct yeah and i guess that was the other piece of it for me is that it was um one of the first times that i consciously i guess you could say encountered something that was made to be a parody and uh you know in the years since then not to i'm 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 certainly not a parody completist but i just uh, I, i i love the the principle behind them and when they're done right. And I love just kind of the act of, you know, poking fun at things. So that was just kind of one of my early uh, awakenings along those lines. So yeah, Walter Mellon, if I could have, I might have started a school-based fan club in the same vein as your ghostwriter fan club. Yeah. For Walter Mellon. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. Much. Yeah, not sure how many other fans I would have uh, been able to have joined, but who knows. Yeah, how many uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles parodies or knockoffs do you think there were at this time? 
I'd be willing to bet like at least 50 in various media. Right. Biker Mice for Mars is one example. What's that? Uh, oh, you don't remember Biker Mice for Mars? I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's in the title. <laughs> Oh right, but like, what was that from? Something was that just a parody unto itself, or was it from like another show? I, I don't know. I I thought Muppets when you first said it. No, it was just a show, um, of its own that oh. that I assume was based on the popularity. Like you know, like uh, putting together subcultures with anthropomorphic animals, and you've got a show. You know. Yeah, it's a hot property right there. Why didn't we get any biker mice from Mars action figures? I'll never know. I still can't sleep. Oh, I think there were. I think they had the the ripcord where you pulled it out. And going back to our mouse on the motorcycle discussion from last episode. Yeah. uh, You could have your very own biker mice from Mars running around your house. Well, if uh, you have a biker mice from Mars, uh, call into the show. We'd love to hear about it. You know, let let us hear all of its, uh, you know. Uh, all of its pre-recorded messages when you pull on that ripcord. Do you have Jamit? That's the only name I remember. Jamit. I think he was the uh, one who worked on stuff with tools. Oh, I boy. guess you would call that a mechanic. I I can only imagine that they had an episode titled Danit Jamit. And I'd be really disappointed if they didn't. They would call it Danit? Like as a censorship measure? <laughs> Uh, as a censorship measure and as a, a nod to Rocky Horror Picture Show, there's a song called well, yes. Damn It, Janet. I got that, but I thought you said Dan It, like the name Dan It. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you were like... Um, well, because his name is Jim. So you were spoonerizing it. I see. Yeah, yeah. Follow, follow my breadcrumbs. Follow me down the path here. I've got it, I've <laughs> got it. Anyway, freaky stories, huh? All right. Anyway, freaky stories. How about them freaky stories? So, <laughs> yes, we've painstakingly gotten our way from the inaugural uh, days of Fox Family Channel. Now that we've explained the concept of a channel. Yes, and how it works and that it has programming <laughs> of various kinds. Uh, so, yeah, Pee Wee's Playhouse was definitely the first one. Walter Mellon, I think, came later on. Uh, when I was firmly entrenched in the channel as its own entity. But I want to say, hot on the heels of Pee-wee's Playhouse, came Freaky Stories. And Freaky Stories, if, uh, well, we previously, we've already established that you are not overly familiar with it. This is your first encounter with it. Freaky Stories was an anthology show, and in and it was an anthology show in the sense that... Um, oh, Battletoads. Oh, my God. Battletoads was the other... I was trying so hard. I was like, there's a really obvious Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle knockoff that I cannot think of. It was Battletoads. They never got a show, I don't think. I believe they were just a video game. Anyway, carry on. Did you just interrupt my description of freaky stories that I was stumbling through <laughs> to scream Battletoads at me? I think you know that I did. Uh, I, I know it. I lived it. Okay. Well, uh, now that we've got Battletoads out of the way. Okay. Anyway, no. Well, that's good to know. Um, okay. Well, now I have to add on top of that. 
would we say that Street Sharks was also in the oh, TMNT yes. vein? Oh, yeah, because I was a Street Shark fan for sure. 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did they live in the sewers too? I feel like they did. I feel like there was definitely some manhole. <laughs> I was about to say there was definitely some manhole explosion. That gave me some pause, let's say. That gave me some pause. Manhole explosions. Wow. Okay. Um, but yeah, I feel like that was an integral part of like the theme, the theme song. Like I feel like you saw like lights, you know, shooting out and they burst out like, we're the street sharks. What the fuck do you want? You know, um, I guess it would have made sense. What else? <laughs> I feel like the two, uh, the two memoir titles that we've come up with already are blindsided by Pee Wee Herman and manhole explosions. Well, exploding manholes would definitely be like a chapter title in the blindsided by Pee Wee Herman memoir, I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Anyway, do you want to? Uh... What were we talking? Was this episode about freaky stories? I, I at this point, I really can't remember. We should probably talk about something horror related, since that is the uh, concept of the podcast. I mean, this other stuff is pretty creepy in its own way, so I feel like we're not too far off the mark. But uh... it was weird, wasn't it? It was a weird era. I'm kind of. It, it was. I kind of missed that era of. You know, things that were weird becoming popular enough to have knockoffs made of them. Because now it's all just like the most sanitized stuff gets the knockoffs made of it. And it's like, it's just like a hall of mirrors of boredom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Take that, Peppa Pig. (laughs) That's right. You know, I, I, even though the, the whole, vibe of the show is you know to be nostalgic and kind of look password uh you know at 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 these artifacts i i feel like i don't want to slight and i i think we have been clear that you know we are eventually perhaps going to look at things that are a bit more contemporary because the landscape as far as creepy stuff for kids i feel like is very um vibrant uh these days and even within the last you know, five to 10 years, it's, it's really been going strong just with, you know, the type of shows that you especially see on or have seen on like Cartoon Network. Um, they're just the, uh, the vein, there's a rich vein of strangeness specifically built for kids, um, that I don't necessarily want to slight by looking at this stuff from our past, like, oh, yeah, those were the days. Because, you know, the days seem pretty good now, um, even if I don't have um, the firmest grasp of it or knowledge of it. But from what I've seen of it, I think the kids are doing all right. The creepy kids these days are doing all right for themselves. Uh, go to hell, modern stuff. Okay. And kind of said it better myself. <laughs> That's what I was really getting at with my tangent. I, I heard the subtext. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure there is a lot of great stuff now. Um, <clears throat> I don't mean this. When I talk about, you know, the good old days, I I am also irritated by people who don't have the capability of seeing new stuff. Because mm-hmm. I'm always like, uh, if you think, you know, like when people say like, ah, there hasn't been a good comedy made since the Blues Brothers or something. I'm like, that might be a problem with you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I just, um, I guess I was just indulging in a little bit of... Um, 
what would you call it? Like ethnocentrism, but like the age version of that, whatever that would be. All ageism, I guess you would say. Um, but I, I do want. You know, mm-hmm, yes, I, say here. I agree with you, though. Yes. Uh, so freaking. No, stories, I do. Huh? I, I do want to hasten to add that I do agree with you in the sense that, and freaky stories to get back to it. <laughs> is i feel a prime example of the kind of thing from our childhood that we talk about where there's just something about it okay well first let me give you the thumbnail it's an anthology show uh i want to say four four segments per episode um usually ranging about four to six minutes each from what I've seen on YouTube, because I, I'm, I, I don't know if I can say the entire series, but it looks like a whole bevy of episodes are just available to watch on YouTube. And not like in the, the gray market kind of way. It seems like they are just there, uh, officially licensed and everything. So please do make use of that if uh, you were so motivated by this episode. Each episode seems like it just crests the 20-minute mark. Uh, And I remember reading on Wikipedia that apparently the show was paired with another one called The The Three Friends and Jerry, which was uh, an international import. Uh, Don't don't ask me from where. Switzerland, maybe? I don't know. Um, But it seemed like it it itself was kind of like a, a short, short show. So... It sounded to me like the three friends and Jerry and Freaky Stories were paired to kind of round out the half hour. But at any rate, uh, the stories within Freaky Stories are all urban legends, uh, both of the classical variety, you know, all the um, mainstays that folks like Eric and I or you yourself would have read in books like Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and whatnot. Um, but also more obscure fare, um, things, stories that would have been passed around the schoolyard as having happened to a friend of a friend. And it, it was actually really, really cute, uh, but also very, very strange because the framing device used for the show, and this I have no memory of at all. It took me revisiting it and, you know, finding these little clips on YouTube to reckon with the fact that apparently this truly was part of the show, the framing device was that it took place in a diner, Ted's Diner, which was set up to be this kind of dingy 1940s era eatery um, that had like unseen human customers uh, inside. And they refer to a waitress who was in these segments by the name of Rosie um, but I believe she was also unseen. I think we just heard her voice. Reason for that being is because the true narrators uh, are gateway into these stories. One of them was a cockroach named Larry DeBug, and the other was a maggot uh, ex- exuding lots of slime, and, uh, you know, in true maggot fashion, just having a smiling mouth, no eyes, or, you know, anything else making it seem 
close to a human resemblance. Um, but Larry was our narrator. He was our crypt keeper, basically. And, you know, he was kind of a street smart, wisecracking <laughs> uh, cockroach. Uh, so he, he was not, he, his Morden humor was of decidedly, you know, street level variety, not like a horror, a creaky horror host kind of a vibe. Um, but it's crazy because I have no memory of those like host segments when I think back to seeing this on, um, on Fox family channel. And when you actually watch the apparently officially licensed episodes that are on YouTube now, they don't have those, um, at all. You have to kind of like scrounge around to find these host segments. Um, cause the Larry and the maggot whose name I'm forgetting, uh, they were puppets. They were like old school, like Sesame street type puppets. Um, except they were gross. Um, and they were, they were the entities that led us into these stories. Um, the stories themselves were like traditional, you know, cartoon animation, but it was neat because, um, it was an actual, it was an actual desire of, uh, one of the, the show's main creator, Steve Schneier for each segment to have a different look, a different animation style from the one that preceded it. Um, it seems like that was partly based on just kind of um, having the stories exist within their own universe. So each of them kind of has their own aesthetical uh, fingerprint, but uh, it was also just because it was used for slightly more, uh, I don't know, I guess you could say, um, it had a more utilitarian purpose in that it was meant to hold the viewer's attention. I guess they thought if it was the same animation style all the way through, you know, it being short stories that, you know, after one story ended, maybe people wouldn't feel prompted to see what came next if, I guess, uh, they knew it wasn't going to be any visually different from, you know, that one the, the, than the entry that came before it. I don't know. But apparently that was their reasoning. Did Larry the Cockroach have a New York accent, I must ask? Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, kind of like a Brooklyn <laughs> type accent. I mean, naturally, right? Yeah, I I guess there's really no other way to characterize a cockroach. <laughs> it comes from New York. Uh, you know what? I'm actually going to see if I can pull up like one of the very few host segments that I found here on YouTube and maybe we can watch that uh, watch that together what do you think of that intro it was higher quality animation than I expected I will say oh yeah because I was I think I was expecting it to look like uh, Tales from the Crypt Keeper you know or one of those but I guess that was that was the nice difference I think between like growing up in the 90s Versus, I think, growing up in the 80s was like, 90s animation was always um, a cut above, you know? Like, they actually put money and time yeah. into it. Whereas, 80s animation was like, just a step above, like, the 60s Hanna-Barbera cartoons, where they would just be like, only the neck up is moving on Yogi Bear past his collar. <laughs> Seriously, I, um, I hosted an event, this was um, not too long before the end of my public library career. Um, but I hosted an event 
uh, called Saturday Morning Cartoons, and it literally was just me, you know, pulling DVDs of retro cartoons from our shelves and playing them in our big meeting room uh, so families could come in, dress in their pajamas, and eat cereal bars. Um, so we started off by playing Looney Tunes, and everybody dug that. And, you know, those kind of have a timeless quality to them anyway. But then, I, you know, I had, like, everything laid out on the table, and, you know, I told some of the assembled folks, yeah, we'll pick out which, uh, which one we watch next. And somebody picked uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles DVD to bring it back uh to our friends there and i put it on and we were all sitting there watching this and i was just kind of like off to the side like man this is rough (laughs) Uh, i sent you a second link by the way yes i opened it a freaky link if you will so what are you thinking of our two friends so far they're not uh they're not disgusting yeah i'm i'm looking at them in this clip and they they do seem rather chipper I'm still a little freaked out by the maggot, though. I don't know. Is it the eyelessness? It's the eyelessness, and it's the fact that, like, his mouth has a, you know, for a puppet, a pretty realistic tongue inside of it. I don't know. That just unnerves me. (laughs) But, yeah, to bring it all the way back um, to that, I have very distinct memories of watching two segments in particular. Um and being pretty scarred by them. One was uh, one was fairly tame um, as, as far as it all was concerned. And it was one of those classical mainstays of uh, urban lore. Uh, the Hook. It was the segment they did for The Hook. And um, that's actually the one that I thought uh, we'd preview today. Um, but before we get to that and we see the, the segment proper, I thought I'd tell you about the other one which according to youtube anyway um it listed as being part of the first episode episode one which um each episode each episode had its own title which kind of spoke to the umbrella like the main topic that each of the segments dealt with so they were kind of all somewhat thematically linked by something (laughs) and the first episode is called the big queasy um so all the individual segments in that episode are like gross out stories uh you from what i watch not my favorite no not your favorite well they're all gross out stories um or at the very least they all have to do with um the consumption of food and how that can you know be a dubious endeavor at times. Um, so the one that I rem- I recall watching, I believe is the last segment in the episode, but I'll briefly touch on the others from, uh, from episode one. The first one is about a chef who somehow gets sent to prison. I don't remember how, don't ask me, not important. Uh, a chef who gets sent to prison. And the way all of these stories are framed is, you know, really cute because Larry DeBug or whoever each, each individual story has a different narrator. It's not Larry um, narrating the story for us. It's like a different narrator. Maybe it's a character from a story uh, from the story. The, um, the one I just started discussing with the chef in prison. It's uh, I think the way it's framed is 
it's a guy who knows the guy that the chef was in prison with, like his cellmate. So in true urban legend fashion, this is a friend of a friend of sorts. So he's telling us about, oh, yeah, this guy that this buddy of mine used to be cellmates with. You know, he was a world-class chef, and he somehow ended up in prison. Uh, and he wouldn't touch the prison food. He thought it was muck. Uh, he would just sit up all night talking about all these great dishes that he used to make. And he, he does something that uh, ends up putting him in solitary for some reason. And he's there for months. He's He's started his prison term as you know this really big robust guy and then solitary turns him down to this you know skinny sapling who's just starving for food all the time because he still won't touch the prison food uh during uh, a thunderstorm where the power goes out the prisoner escapes the chef he escapes out into the night out into the wild and he comes across this building that he just you know crawls into He's just starving for food, and wouldn't you know it, he stumbles upon a refrigerator inside, and he opens it up, and he just starts gorging himself on everything in that refrigerator. Come to find out the next morning, he's in a medical facility, and he's just eaten like oh so many human body parts that have been <laughs> refrigerated for like surgical purposes. And, you know, it ends with like, oh, yeah, he ended up going back to prison and he had no problem eating the prison food after that. Um, so that kind of gives you the impression of. And the rating on this was what <laughs> doesn't sound like a Y7 to me. Seriously. Yeah, they, they definitely push the envelope um, in, in that episode. I know we've touched on this before talking about Are You Afraid of the Dark? You know, just the creative ways. Or you could say, you know, <laughs> the sadistic ways that these showrunners and um, creative folks would push the envelope and kind of get around the whole gore and violence quotient in these programs. Um, as at, at the at that story's climax, when you know the narrator is explaining to us what uh, what's happened to our poor hapless chef what he's been gorging himself on he kind of just encapsulates it as you know oh he he was putting stuff down his gullet that i don't you know i can't even describe it to you make you lose your own lunch and he just kind of leaves it at that um but you know the the uh, animation kind of fills in the rest for us um so that's the first segment of episode one the well, big easy. when you said a chef who goes to prison my instinct was to make a joke about how he was like serving people in it, but I didn't realize that would turn out to be the actual ending of the episode. Hey, yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to urban legends, and I feel like this is going to be a tangent that we're going to get into real quick here. Um, you know, the thing that you suspect is going to happen is probably the thing that happens. Um So before we get into that though, because I'm sure it's going to, track from the thing that I started saying. Um, let me just rush ahead to the last segment in the big queasy, the segment that I have. Crystal oh, wait. Clean. I have a question. Are you going to shout the name of another Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> Turtles knockoff? Uh, oh, man. I really wish I could remember one right now, just for the sake of the bit. But no, I was going <laughs> to ask, if you escape from prison and you find 
a fridge and you have to eat a body part out of it or starve to death, what would you go for first? Mm. Ooh, good would you rather type question. Did he uh, get to uh, cook these in the episode or was he just eating them like raw? No, he's like unscrewing the jars <laughs> and just gobbling them up like pickles. Um, Ooh, I don't know what <sighs> what part would that be? <laughs> Yeah, right. Testicles, uh, I mine, guess. Yeah, it could Some only be. Little um, popcorn chicken testicles. Uh, honestly, I'd probably have to go for intestines. Um, oh, man. Well, I mean, what else? Everything else is gross. <laughs> I, mean, I guess there's a lot of them. Yeah, and, you know, I guess it would depend on if at that point in my life uh, did I have the opportunity to try what is it? A tripe? Is that what it's called? Sheep intestines? Tripe? Mm, maybe. There's also <laughs> haggis. Is that the same thing? I don't remember. Let's haggis say is like bladder. So. Oh, okay. So yeah, I'm not sure what tripe is. I think tripe is intestines. Um, and I've that's one of yeah. those like exotic, bizarre food choices that I've always been a little curious about. I mean, to be honest, I'm curious about most exotic and bizarre foods, you know, not to uh, get too far into culturally shaming or anything like that. Um, Bizarre, or let's just say exotic to me. Um, That's something that, uh, you know, one of the ones that I've always been kind of, hmm, about, like, I'm sure it's ghastly. I'm sure it's absolutely ghastly, but I'd still want to have a little nibble. Well, maybe we'll cut this out of the episode. I don't know. But here's what I'll say about the cultural okay. shaming thing. Um, people who are horrified that like some countries in the world eat dog. And I won't say which countries because I don't want to stereotype. But let's just say there's a country in the world where they eat dog. Uh, to me, it's like, who, who cares? <laughs> like, if you're already eating pig which is like has the same or more emotional intelligence than a dog, then I guess I don't really like, I think the only way that you can be uh, a pearl clutching about that is like, if you eat no meat or dairy whatsoever, then you have room. But otherwise it's like, I don't know. Meat is meat. (laughs) Yeah. I can't really get too upset that they prioritize different animals to eat in another part of the world. Yeah. And I always thought it was kind of strange, you know, maybe there's some kind of historical, significance to this but um and i can't even tell you like you know was this like a depression era thing that i heard about um but basically kind of a similar pearl clutching going on about like oh they they had to resort to eating horse meat like (laughs) okay (laughs) Is, is that really so bad i don't i don't understand how that's any worse than cow or better than cow i mean it's it's a farm animal. I mean, I feel like that yeah, would for sure. be a pretty good cut of meat, but I can't, you know, really say. I've never, I've never had. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it, I've, I've, I've heard that come up in, on a number of occasions. Like, oh boy, yeah, they had to, they had to get the horse meat out again. Like, okay, <laughs> well, good for them. <clears throat> Trying something else. At least it isn't meat again. I think that was another part of uh, Big Top Peewee that I forgot about. Living on a farm and eating mm. horse was was a pretty big part of that movie. Wow, man. We're just tying all the loose ends together here in this episode. 
Anyway, sorry to interrupt. You can go on and talk about the last segment of The Big Queasy. The last segment of The Big Queasy is called Mixed Nuts. Hold on. Not, okay. not where you think it's going. Hold on. So the premise here is that it's told by a friend of the protagonist who is a... Uh, a, a I was trying to think of what the current term would be, um, and it's escaping me. A bagger? Uh, I was going to say bag boy. He's a bag boy at the local grocery store. And he's kind of a, a, he's a bit of a lazy bones. You know, he cuts a lot of corners and when he can. And uh, he only bags the groceries where the, the hot cashiers are ringing up. And it's on a day <laughs> like that. That uh, there's an an old little bitty there who has bags upon bags of groceries, and he's thinking, okay, ka-ching. She's you know, because she asks him, oh, is there any way you can help me bring these over to my house? And uh, according to the narrator in the episode, the uh, ratio, or excuse me, um, the amount of bags acts to be brought to the house is in direct proportion to the size of the tip. So he sees how many bags she has and he's like, Oh yeah, we're in business. And she's like, Oh, it's just around the corner. Uh, but it ends up being quite a bit of distance. He's like going uphill with these bags and you know, he's at, out of breath. And by the time, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> me too. Um, <coughs> by the time they get to the house, he's like a sweating mess and he's also really hungry. So she goes off to get him his tip, and he's just kind of walking around the kitchen, seeing if there's anything he can eat. He opens up her cupboard, her pantry, and in and in um, oh, and it's so funny. I don't remember what the title of that first segment was with the chef, but in a similar fashion to the first segment, he opens up the pantry, and it's just full of this pickled stuff in jars. That looks really weird or unappetizing. There's nothing that looks appeasing to the palate of a modern teenage boy. But and he, he's just desperate to eat something. So he's looking everywhere and he opens up a drawer and he finds a jar of mixed nuts. And he's like, well, you know, not my favorite thing, but I'm starving. So we're going to make do. So... He's eating a handful at a time, and you know what? They're not too bad. You know, maybe could use a little salt, but, you know, not too bad. Next thing you know it, he's eating all of them. Jar's empty. By this time, little old lady has come back with his tip. It's a whopping 15 cents. So he's kind of bummed about that, and he's like, oh, thanks, lady. But then he sees the empty jar and he's like, oh, by the way, you know, I'm sorry about this, but uh, I was feeling kind of hungry. So I helped myself to your jar of mixed nuts. Um, you're probably going to have to buy some more at the grocery store next time you go. And the little old lady just looks at him and smiles and she says, oh, that's OK if you helped yourself to them. Uh, since I lost all my teeth, they're really no use to me. All I can do is suck the chocolate off the mixed nuts and put them back in the jar. That's really the only use I can get out of them. And, you know, there's like a horrific close-up of her smiling face. And she's got like four snaggle, snaggle teeth in her jaw. And, you know, 
ruptured gums and he's just left looking at her gaping mouth in horror realizing what he's just eaten and that's mixed nuts and i have never forgotten seeing that as a kid on the fox family channel so for you if the first segment is eating human body parts and the last segment is <laughs> eating nuts that an old lady sucked on already floppy sucking uh, it, is that is that heightening or de-escalating the uh, the queasiness? You know, I feel like, and you know, Steve Schneier or whoever, you know, composed that episode. I feel like that last segment manages to do both. Manages to do both because just because the 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 relative tameness of what was eaten kind of calms you down a bit. It does have a lowering effect on your uh, gag reflex, but then it kind of comes right back up when you realize that yes, it's normal food, but it's already been in somebody's mouth and, you know, presumably not the most hygienic person. So I, I feel like it's, it's a good balance of both. It's yeah. I think that's a solid segment to, to end on personally. And clearly it was dramatics because it stayed with me all this time. Yeah. It does sound pretty gross. Uh, a little bit ageist though, you know? Yeah. Like if it was one of those, uh, young hot cashiers who was spitting out nuts, I'm sure he would be popping them into his mouth. Like it's, it's like I'm kissing her right now. Yeah. It's like, Oh man, these taste even better. Yeah, but I mean that's the thing. Um, this this was just so why <laughs> why why did she uh, keep the nuts instead of just like spitting them directly into the garbage? Good question. I mean, you know, maybe she was a bit of a hoarder. Not to be a real cinema sins about a twenty year old <laughs> animated horror show for children, but yeah, about freaky stories. Well, I mean, you could... Or why doesn't she just buy chocolate? Well, here's the thing. And maybe this is this could be our tangent into urban legends as a whole. Um, why do a lot of a thing... Why, why do a lot of the things that happen in ur- urban legends happen? Case in point, as creepy as it is, and, you know, as... Um, for whatever goosebumps I got when I initially encountered this urban legend in, you know, years since, it's just always seems so stupid to me. Um, but um, people can lick too. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. I sure am. Yeah, it just seems like... The, Should I recap it? Or? Yeah, I guess let's, you know, I mean, if you're here listening to this podcast, chances are pretty good that you know exactly what we're talking about. But just in case you need the refresher, so people can lick too. I'm really going to give you the thumbnail. Uh, girl, teenage, you know, young 20s, presumably either at, at home alone, her parents have just left, or maybe this is her first place. She has a dog. Um, I don't know. It depends, I guess, on which version you hear. Does she? Is it like the hook where there's some kind of news broadcast about, ooh, escape convict, you know, be on your guard. Um but, she, you know, she's got her dog and she goes to sleep in her house and 
she has this um she has this habit you know like at night when she's alone in her house or apartment or whatever you know, her dog sleeps at her bedside so she just reaches down and her dog gives her a little kiss on the hand and you know she that's like her little security blanket so that allows her to go back to dreamland well wouldn't you know it uh some psychopath breaks into her house and you know she's hearing these mysterious sounds in the house she doesn't realize this at the time but she's hearing these mysterious creepy sounds in the house uh, whilst she's trying to take a nap so she just reaches down next to the bedside and she feels you know the little slobbery kiss from her dog and then she goes back to dreamland and then eventually she wakes up and her dog's no longer at the bedside so she goes around looking for you know frisky or whatever its name is and she goes into the bathroom and there it is you know uh the murdered carcass of her dog in the bathtub and on the bathtub wall the bathroom wall written in blood is the phrase people can lick too meaning that this crazy person killed her dog and then knew that this was a thing that this lady and her dog had where she would reach down next to the bed and the dog would kiss her hand. So I guess after killing the dog, this guy thought, well, I might as well make it easy for her, put her down gently. So I'll lay down next to the bed and I'll lick her hand and maybe that'll make this whole terrible episode easier for her but then he goes back into the bathroom and writes this uh the timeline is totally screwy uh as it can be in urban legends so yeah people can lick too is like a prime example of just how stupid some of these things are so i guess you can you know you can uh classify mixed nuts in in that same school of why would you keep the nuts if you couldn't eat them? Why wouldn't you just, as you said, suck the chocolate off and chuck them in the garbage? I don't remember if I put this on our uh, document of um, topics to get to for particular episodes, but I, th- I think I've I've said before. Well, maybe I didn't say it. Maybe <laughs> I just thought it that it would be fun to kind of go through uh, like the Snopes horror section oh, yeah. and like read different urban legends and talk about like when what, did I first encounter this one? Did I hear it in real life, or was it just from my hours of scouring Snopes as a kid <laughs> looking for a quick thrill? Oh boy, that was you too! Wow, it's funny. Eric and I have been, uh, you know, mm-hmm. pen pals essentially for for years, and we kind of already knew that we had a lot of things in common. But you know, the show brings more and more things to light. Which, you know, is either a comfort or just really creepy. You decide. Uh, But yes, I also scoured the Snopes uh, horror section for stories just like this. Honestly, I think that's where I first heard People Can Lick, too. I don't think I encountered it anywhere else. I feel like it was on Snopes. Um, And I'm I'm not going to get too far afield, but just to kind of teasingly, cryptically state that there's another one that I heard on Snopes um, that definitely rocked me a bit. And this would have been, you know, in kind of my teen years, you know, maybe late middle school, early high school that I read it. Um, And it definitely gave me some chills. So yes, when and if, and I think it's really a question of when we we get to that episode, I'd love to um, dig into those again for sure. But um, that kind of answers a question that I 
was thinking of asking during this episode. Um, how did you feed your your urban legend diet, or you know, how what what were the the methods or the mediums that you encountered them, you know, uh, around this time in your life? You know, for me, for a brief period, it was freaky stories. And then, of course, you know, what we got in the scary stories of telling the dark books. But I was curious if um, you had anything else that added to your your experience and knowledge of these. Uh, well, I remember getting mm. books from the library of, you know, urban legends, but it was always they don't have to be um, scary, I guess. But the collections that we got always were. And I remember my when I first moved to Plainfield, <laughs> Illinois, where I grew up, uh, there was a kid down the block named Josh and we would like, he had a video camera. So we would go, this sounds really seedy what I'm about to say, but we would go in the basement and make videos <laughs> um, in the vein of, are you afraid of the dark? And we would like stack up. I was probably, I think I was nine when we moved there. We would stack up like orange books to represent the, the uh, are you afraid of the dark fire <laughs> and take turns reading these urban legends to each other and freaking each other out. And also there was Beyond Belief with Jonathan Frakes, which if you, uh, I keep getting in the YouTube algorithm, the, have you seen the like super cuts of like Jonathan Frakes telling you you're correct for 90 yeah. seconds or whatever, or, or Jonathan Frakes asking you questions for two minutes. Like, you ever gone mountain biking? What do you want to be when you grow up? What's the right tip? Have you called a plumber to your home lately? How superstitious are you? How much money would it take to make you spend a night in a cemetery? Would you display this as a trophy? Do you have a pet? Do you have a sweet tooth? Do you believe in the power of a curse? Have you had your hearing tested lately? Planning a trip soon? Can you remember the tallest man you've ever seen? Do you love to go a-wandering beneath a clear blue sky? Have you noticed what big stars real estate agents have become? Are you careful with your personal records? Does your computer ever seem to have a mind of its own? Have you ever visited a Chinatown section in a major city? Have you ever visited a flea market? Have you ever visited a truck stop? Did you ever have a job as a waiter? Have you noticed how many successful restaurants are theme-based these days? Have you ever had the desire to write your initials in wet cement? It really delights me that, um, you know, that's become not only like the supercuts on YouTube, but every so often you see him pop up in like a Facebook reel. Um, it really delights me that that has become a thing, you know, not like a huge thing, but still a, a thing. Um, and that when people watch it, they probably, the majority of people probably have no idea where that comes from. And it delights me for the fact that, A, you know, people who have no idea what it is are being exposed to beyond belief, whether they know it or not, but B it had to have been somebody like us who watched that show, you know, so often, or, you know, it's possible that they encountered it in recent years. Like I think it's streaming on something and they just sat there and like, and, you know, bemused fashion thinking this guy asks a lot of questions. <laughs> It also came from an era of television when uh, they didn't particularly care what your hair looked like because Jonathan Frakes' hair is always just, it just looks like he just got out of bed and like ran a comb through it once and then just like stepped on camera. It's like, did they not have like stylists to apply a, a little bit of product or something? Yeah, very much so. It freaks me out seeing him without the goatee though. It's like, what? What, what, what's wrong with your face? There's like half of it is missing. 
So anytime those clips of him come up and, you know, that's kind of mean to say, cause you know, he's a very good looking gentleman. Um, but it's, it's just not right without the goatee. It's kind of like, you know, some people feel that way when they see Vincent Price without his mustache and like his early, his early career. It's like, what, oh, yeah. what is happening? Like it, like it <laughs> when he was like a character actor and like, you know, Laura or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, what, what am I looking at right now? Or, rather what am i not looking at something is amiss um yeah but anyhow so books from the library yeah well i'll tell you and beyond i'll tell you the one from the because i don't think this one is on snopes so i feel like i'm not spoiling a future episode Mm. but the one that really freaked me out at the time was the one about um uh, there's probably some kind of setup that i'm forgetting but you know hearing on the radio there's an escape Mm. maniac on the loose as all of these urban legends that is a trope that i will never get tired of by the way i know it's like problematic now to be like just because somebody escapes from an asylum they're of course a horrible (laughs) serial murderer uh but you know what sometimes we can be gothic and expressionistic i think and not and realize like yeah we're not actually insulting people with with uh mental health issues true but um (laughs) it's the difference between you know crazy and insane or maybe like mad versus uh unwell yes um but it girl exactly yeah mad (laughs) yeah vincent price was mad especially when he had that mustache Mm -hmm. going uh but a girl in a college Mm -hmm. dorm room hears the announcement on the radio escape killers on the loose and her friend or her roommate, I guess, is out and about in the world, like spending the night, you know, somewhere else as college kids do from time to time, maybe over at her boyfriend's with a sock hanging on the doorknob. And in the middle of the night, she wakes up. She has the door locked because she's freaked out. Middle of the night, she wakes up. It's weird that this is a dorm room because that's like kind of a public area, right? My school was, I went to college where we had like apartments instead of dorm rooms but there's still like a shared hallway. Mm. So uh, I'm not sure how much sense this makes, but anyway, she hears like a sound at the door, like somebody scratching at the door, trying to get in and she freaks out and hides under her blankets until, you know, she finally falls asleep, exhausted and terrified. And then when she wakes up in the morning, have you heard this one? Do you know where it's going? Uh, well, I think I do, but I don't think it's, um, popularized version so continue so she goes and opens the door and sees that the scratching noise was not in fact from an escaped lunatic trying to get in it was the scratching of her doomed roommate as she was bleeding out from the gash in her throat and now she's lying dead on the floor Uh, outside the dorm yeah that's a bummer um (laughs) yeah the other one that's very, the other one that's very similar to that is, um, what is it? Uh, Aren't you glad you didn't turn the light on? Which oh yeah, as made as made popular in uh, the film Urban Legend. Yeah, I was gonna say I conflate that one with the uh, People Can Lick too. It's kind of the same punchline, isn't it? Yeah, I mean they all three of those seem like they are definitely the, from the same. You know, on, on the Urban Legend tree those are definitely leaves from the same branch for sure. You stuck the landing on the analogy. Thank you. 
Okay, well, let me tell then the one other that I remember that I don't think is on Snopes, which is, uh, it, I think it had a title like Step Step Drag or something. Do you know that one? Sounds familiar, but go on. That one is about the killer who's being transported from one prison to another. There's an accident. He manages to, uh, you know, murder the guards on the bus and escape. Um, but he has the ball and chain, so you can hear him coming by step, step, drag, step, step, drag, because he's dragging mm. the, the ball along, because uh, this took place in, you know, 1931 or whatever. And right. it, it, it ends with the girl um, huddled in a corner hearing the approach, the step, step, drag, step, step, drag, and thinking that it's the killer coming to end her life. And then... The punchline is, oh no, it was the sheriff, and he's dragging a bag of bulletproof vests. Uh, okay. To, to... <laughs> I know, yeah, I, I don't. It doesn't really make a lot of sense because he's wow. never the psychopath is never uh, specifically said to have a firearm, but I'll allow it. Yeah. <sighs> See, and to. Truly, um, indica- I've, that one in particular, maybe just because of the uh, old-fashioned trappings that it has about it, you know, with the ball and chain and, you know, the fact that the sheriff comes in at the end. I don't know. That just sa- it sounds like something that would have been a radio drama from the 40s. I, mm. And I, I feel like in some ways these, these urban legends are as old as that. You know, especially of the the mad convict or psychopath loose and on the prowl. Um, I feel like those probably go all the way back to at least that time period. So, wow, Bulletproof Fest, though, that is <laughs> very strange uh, as far as a punchline is concerned. Yeah, playing between, uh, speaking of OTR, which you've already moved past, but I'm going to go back to it because I want to make two references. It played between ch- played between uh, Chicken Heart and uh, that one with the gas that turned people inside out. Oh, yeah. So both of those are Lights Out episodes. Um, the first one being Chicken Heart. The second one is called... I think it's just called The Fog? It's like a mist of some kind. But yeah, it turns people inside out. Um, well, the one it made me think of, um, there's an episode of Suspense... Again, we're talking about old-time radio, so Eric and I are really flashing our popularity cards right now. Um, But there's one called On a Country Road, which uh, is very much of, very much that kind of story of, you know, there's a convict on the loose and, you know, uh, a lady that's having car trouble runs into what appears to be a good Samaritan, but... Is he or isn't he the very same convict that's on the loose? Stay tuned after we hear this commercial from Lipton Tea. Um, so, does he keep saying misleading things like, I really killed it tonight at my business meeting? My boss loved all my ideas. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, something of that nature happens throughout the course of the episode <laughs> for sure. Yeah, just like, oh, what are. What are those scratches on your arm? Oh, well, these, I, uh, I, I fell down a few miles back because uh, I also had car trouble. 
oh, you don't say, you know, and then the organ. (laughs) I love it. So speaking of Mad Men on the Prowl along lonely country roads, um, I thought that I would take this opportunity to show you a, instead of just sitting here describing some of the segments from Freaky Stories to You, uh, since we've been talking about classic urban legends, I thought I would show you the other segment that I have crystal clear memories of watching low those many years ago on uh, the Fox Family Channel. And it is the segment that Freaky Stories did on The Hook. Excuse me. <laughs> Belch. the burping phantom (laughs) are you um i know you're you're, you also have a shared interest um in like british comedy british sketch comedy are you at all familiar with the two ronnies no not at all no uh, I'm not. I'm not overly familiar myself. I've seen a couple of sketches that that are you know pretty solid, um, but yeah, they were about mid late seventies, early eighties, right, right about the same time as Benny Hill, I'd say. Um, but they have a they have a sketch that I've not watched all the way through, but it's kind of like their Hammer Films parody, mm-hmm. um, and it's called like the raspberry blower of old London town. (laughs) (laughs) So when you said the belting phantom, my mind immediately went to the raspberry blower of old London town. Uh, So yeah, look that up in your off time for a good laugh. It's funny that hammer was like, like hammer today is like the most cult of cult movies, but at a certain time in pop culture, it was like, it was famous enough that you could do, a sketch about it on like a mainstream comedy show. And Kate Bush has a song called hammer horror. I guess it was probably more of a British ism, but yeah. And people got it, you know, they understood like, Oh yeah. Those, those, you know, creaky old Gothic movies with Christopher Lee and the gang. So, all right. So the hook, as I'm sure many of us here know, is that classic urban legend where two lovers go out, teenage, usually two teenage lovers go out to Lover's Lane. There's that lovely broadcast on the radio that there is a madman on the loose, but he's not just any madman. He has a hook for a hand. And that is definitely one of those, shall we call them stupidisms of that are just, you know, a part of the urban legend cloth. Like, why? Why, if he's somebody with homicidal tendencies, if he did have a hook for a hand, why would they let him keep it? Why couldn't they give him some other kind of helpful appendage? He was cellmates with a guy who had a knife for a penis. <laughs> uh, was a friend of a friend of mine. But there was like, I feel like the further back you go in a, in American history, the less anybody cared about things like security. So it kind of checks out in that way. True enough. True enough. <laughs> it's like, 
Ah, uh, that guy's got a gun. Oh, well. He's got a gun for a face. There's no need to do any background checks on him. <laughs> <laughs> let him in. Let him in. It's basket weaving time. <laughs> so I just... Sorry, I said penis, yeah, everybody. That's okay. We'll, we'll get over it. Um, so I sent you the link to the hook <laughs> segment. So I thought that just for just for kicks and giggles, we could kind of play this simultaneously, simultaneously. Uh, and, you know, I've already seen it. Um, so this, this segment, the hook, along with Mixed Nuts, those are the two segments that have just branded themselves onto my gray matter from when I initially saw them. Um, so it was great fun revisiting it. And I, I, I didn't mention this when we were talking about Mixed Nuts. It didn't really happen so much when I rewatched The Hook, but when I was rewatching Mixed Nuts, it's really incredible how, as I was watching it, I have not seen this thing since that day when I was like eight or nine years old. But as I was rewatching it just the other night on YouTube, it was insane to me how, as I was hearing the voices and the narration and just like when the bag boy threw the bags on the table and the way he collapsed into the chair, it was just so eerie to me the way that it felt like genuine echoes. Like I, I, I could almost like hear the reverberations inside my skull from you know, decades ago, like these are things that I've heard before, almost like, not that I was anticipating what was happening, but as it was happening, it was instantly familiar. Has that ever happened to you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I think so. I feel like I'm, I don't want to say the wrong answer here because somehow I will be evaluated. No, not at all. I'm just curious. If this is- uh, I mean, not by yeah. you necessarily, but you know, by some kind of cosmic oh. force. Uh, I did kind of have that recently where I was looking up. I told you that I've been looking at like Nickelodeon interstitials for a video yeah. I may or may not make. And there was a ref, I found a Reddit thread where somebody was talking about one where, a girl is in a cafeteria and she like drops her lunch tray and gets food all over her boots and everybody in the cafeteria like goes quiet and stares at her because you know she just made a big loud noise and she immediately starts like spewing out beatnik poetry as a way to like um distract everyone or like you know to recover in the moment um like instead of being an object of embarrassment mm-hmm. you know what i mean and reading it, I was like, I have absolutely no idea what this person is talking about. And then somebody provided a link for it on YouTube. And as I was watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember every line of this thing, but I haven't thought about it in 20 years, probably. I would say that's exactly that's exactly it. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Now that I have talked about that, though, I feel like I want to say a few lines of it just in case anybody in the audience remembers it so let me see if i can find my screen capture of it check this doomsday scene gone down do i sneak to the door no i turn the beat around peas on my threads potatoes on my cake hey i call it a look yeah that'll do the trick I got your eye, and I got 
your ear. I just speak it smooth like butter. Check me now. Look, Ma, no fear. Oh my God, I remember that. Did that trigger something for you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's so creepy how that happens. Why do our brains do that? Oh my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I call it a look. Oh, yeah, nuts, nuts. So, all right. Well, speaking of nuts, uh, not mixed nuts, but uh, the nuts oh. that, the kind of nuts that our. <laughs> hook-handed maniac is let's see if we can turn our attention to this little segment from uh freaky stories yeah that that's that's the name of the thing that we told you this episode would be about we've delivered on that promise haven't we so i've got the video pulled up you let me know when you're ready and maybe we can do a little countdown and take a look at this puppy together is this about to launch into a rockabilly song it absolutely is This is a true story. It happened to a friend. Of a friend of a friend of mine. It was back in 63. And if you ask me, it was a very, very dangerous time. Cause love was blind. The boy's name was Frankie. His true love was Annette. was jammed with cars a hundred moonstruck teenagers were gazing at the stars Frankie and his baby they were so much in love a hugging and a smooching under the stars above the radio played softly the late night lovers bash then suddenly the DJ said we interrupt for this news flash Annette said, what was that? And Frankie said, it's nothing, a 
dog, a coon, or a cat. But Annette glanced in the mirror, and something caught her eye. A glint of moon on metal that made her scream and cry. Get me out of here right now! I'm not kidding around! Move it, Frankie! Move it fast! Take me back to town! Frankie cranked the car, wheeled his tires across the lot, and grumbled all the way to town. Their evening had been shot. But when they got to her place and he went to her car door, Frankie's face went ghostly white like it had never been before. And Annette said, Frankie, you okay? You look really shook. Then he fainted dead away, so she got out to take a look. But as she opened up her door, she heard a clanking sound. She looked down at the door handle, and this is what she found. really fun i like this yeah right and one of the top comments on like the the youtube page here like somebody says the music in this one was amazing i can't believe they did so much for just four minutes and that's true this was four minutes from a 20 minute anthology show and they wrote a song for it and and i know we didn't really touch on you know, the, the kind of behind the scenes backstory to freaky stories, um, really because I didn't do a whole lot of research. So that was really just to hide a deficit on my part. Um, but from what I did read of it, um, this show was kind of the brainchild of this guy named Steve Schneier, who had just kind of like done editorial work on um, some other animated series, including uh, Inspector Gadget. And he, like, pitched the idea in 1991. Um, They did a pilot for it in 1994 for, um, and that aired, this is a Canadian series, a a, a true Canadian series. Yeah, I was just going to say, produced in association with YTV, which is a logo you recognized if you were watching all of the Canadian imports on Nickelodeon at that time. Like, Are You Afraid of the Dark was definitely a YTV thing. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, how um, I'd be curious to find out if things were still like this as far as the television landscape was concerned. But it seemed like the 90s was just the decade for Canadian imports when it came to kids TV. Yeah. Do you remember the moment that you realized that? Because I do recall thinking at some point, like, okay, now I understand why they all say, like, hoos. <laughs> I don't know if I really reckon with that as a kid, honestly. I, I think it went right over my head. I don't know how aware I was of Canada as a kid, to be perfectly honest with you. So if somebody told me that, I probably would have just been like, what? Where? What is that? You know, the Great White North. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. Got it. Now I got it. Um but anyway, this the show was kind of like his brainchild. Um, you know, the pilot premiered in 1994. The series proper didn't start until 97. And then it was just on for three seasons and it like wrapped in 99. Um, so, you know, pretty short lived as far as TV shows go. I don't know. I mean, compared to others, that's not a bad run. 
Um, but in any case, yeah, it's... for kids shows, especially at that time, especially at that time, I feel like most kids shows kind of wrapped it up in like three seasons. Cause like, I think Batman, mm-hmm. I already referenced Batman, the animated series that like proper only lasted three seasons and then it mm-hmm. met metamorphosized into adventures of Batman and Robin or whatever. Right. Batman Beyond. I feel like it wasn't until like SpongeBob that suddenly they were like, Oh, we could just let an animated show run for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, obviously the Simpsons, but that wasn't a kid's show specifically. Yeah. You know I mean? Well, you know, yeah, there, there were some other things like Rugrats certainly had, uh, a, a good run. Um, before they started doing well, listen. I don't remember the number, but I do remember I was listening to... Did you ever listen to... Um, oh, shoot. I think it was just called Batman the Animated Podcast. No. Maybe, with Justin Michael was the host name. But anyway, he had a lot of guests on who were in connection with the show, and they talked about how, at the time, the conventional wisdom from networks was um, you would have... You would basically just do like, I can't remember the number, but it was like, you know, 66 episodes or whatever of a kid's show because that was enough to be able to air it for. Mm. I shouldn't have started saying this because I don't remember any of the details, but it was like you basically want to have enough episodes to be able to air it for like, you know, two days or or so, however many episodes a month at a certain time or something. But anyway, there was a very specific number. Yeah, that was and, a formula for it, basically, yeah. Yeah, so I think that was just kind of like, uh, eventually, you know, they kind of realized that, like, well, like other TV shows, I guess we could just let this run forever and just keep making money off of it. But I think it was like a budgetary thing of, like, you put in the money to make a certain mm. amount of episodes, and then you just run reruns ad nauseum so that it, like, there's just enough so that it doesn't seem too repetitious or whatever. And then you keep making yeah. money off of like the syndication as opposed to making more episodes. Anyway, right. that was really long and boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is what people tune in for, for, you know, the dry TV facts. We got them here up in the treehouse. Um, but no, it's just the thing that this show seems, you know, like between the like the different animation styles and the the host segments with Larry DeBug and the maggot. Um, it seems like such an idiosyncratic vision. Like this was Steve Schneier's thing. This was his baby. It came into the world. It's, you know, did its thing for like three years and then it was done. And he's never really done much since then. As, um, from what I could tell anyway, um, he, you know, he, there's actually on Facebook an official uh, Freaky Stories fan page, um, and uh, you know he's posted there a few times. It's kind of it's, it's kind of a defunct page, but I still liked it anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, you know Steve Schneier is still out there. He's got a Facebook page, um, still out and there. I actually saw a post. You know, yeah, I saw a post. You know, back when they were still regularly posting, where he mentioned that he was a guest on the podcast. So who knows, you know, maybe we'll, we'll tap him to really fill our ears with uh, the, the whole behind the scenes, E true Hollywood story of freaky stories. Um, Let me tell but, you, yeah, uh, just, and, and, and uh, yeah, this revel is speaking about, sorry to keep interrupting. I kind of have to, cause of the lag where I have to just be like, I guess I better just talk. Cause 
I don't know how to have a smooth flowing conversation with this like five second. But anyway, um, so Scrubs used to have like a video production diary back in the day. I think they've all been deleted now, but the guy who Mm. played Dr. Kelso, the actor whose name I don't remember, uh, did a blog for Halloween where he was telling the story of the hook urban legend. And he used as a prop, like an actual medical hook, you know, like with the mm-hmm. the two tongs that like, so, so, and it occurred to me at that time, I was like, I never thought about this before, but like, if you actually have a hook for a hand, that would be the kind of hook that you would have had because it was actually functional. And <laughs> like the Captain Hook style hook right. that you always picture when you think about the urban legend is like, that would really not be practical unless you were just using it to like murder people kill people (laughs) no that's absolutely right and it's funny because um there is a boy yeah we welcome to black magic treehouse the podcast for tangents um there is a movie there were two movies that came out roughly around the same time in the late 90s like one was 97 one was like 98 or 99 one was like called campfire stories one was called campfire tales and i forgot which one i watched but one of them has a segment on the hook and i think they like even shot it in black and white because they were going for a retro vibe um but i distinctly recall because i think i used it um for one of my entries for the october horror movie challenge and the screenshot i used was of the hook from the segment they did on that hanging from the door handle of the car and it was like a two-prong medical hook and since then i've always kind of thought this exact same thing as you like yeah why wouldn't why would it be anything else (laughs) But that kind of diminishes the impact of the story. Like, well, I'm not sure what kind of havoc he could have wrecked with that. But at the same time, why would he have had anything else for a hook hand except something that he could have practically used in his day-to-day life? So, yeah. Once again, stupid urban legends. (laughs) Well, the other flaw, I guess it's not really a, it's a feature, not a bug, I guess, but... I remember there was like a, I can't, I have no memory of what this was on, but I feel like I remember seeing a skit once. Maybe it was even just a conversation on a TV show or something, but they were talking about like the kind of car that you would have to have that has the kind of door handle where a hook could actually get stuck in it since 90% of door handles (laughs) are like you pull up on it. But there's, and they were talking about like, the different models and makes of cars that you could have for that to work. And that was also like, oh yeah, I guess I never thought about the fact that usually it doesn't make any practical sense for a hook to somehow be hanging on a door handle. Yeah. Mirror at least maybe rear view mirror, but yeah, usually it's a door handle. Oh, what do you know? What do you know? Well, that's freaky stories. Um, based on the things you've been told and that you've seen tonight, Eric, what uh, what are your basic impressions? Do you think this is something you might do further digging into in your spare time? Uh, yeah, sure. The maggot and cockroach give me pause. Um, <laughs> because I feel like the whole point See, of... See, they are creepy. <laughs> the point of having 
a host for horror stories is like to soften the, you know, like that's what the Crypt Keeper was for, was for like, these were comic books for kids. So if we're going to tell these really horrifying stories, we need to soften it by having this guy who makes dad jokes about all the gore and the violence in the story. So if the stories are already tame enough for kids, although maybe they're not because they are eating human body parts. I don't know. Right. I guess I don't have any coherent argument about why I don't like them. I just feel like they're maybe unnecessary, but maybe I'll go in and watch some of the individual segments because it seems like they're pretty well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm certainly <clears throat> ooh, I'm certainly more curious to poke around a bit more because, like I said, these um, those two segments, mixed nuts and the hook, are really the only ones that I had distinct memories of, and um, I like the general idea enough. Well, first of all, it's an anthology show; it's hard for me to say no. Um, but uh, I, I I genuinely enjoyed the idea that they went about trying to make each of the segments stylistically different from the other. And I'm curious, like how they might've pushed the en- the envelope in other ways for other segments. Um, so yeah, I, I, this may, I don't know as far as the podcast is concerned, but this is certainly not the last, this is certainly not freaky stories last day as far as uh, this household is concerned. So whether it pops up again in a future episode. Who knows? We definitely got to talk about, you know, like you said, kind of our our urban legend scoping days or snoping, snopesing days, you might say, um, on a future episode. And uh, yeah, that's that's something to look forward to if you've been enjoying our topic of conversation tonight. And uh, if you enjoy just hearing from us in general, you can definitely reach out to us at our email address, which is blackmagictreehousepod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Do you have any memories of watching Freaky Stories as a kid? Have you rediscovered it on YouTube like uh, a few dozen people, it looks like, have? Uh, tell us what, what segments you know have haunted you in the years since you've seen them. Uh, and, of course, if there's just anything else creepy from your childhood you can give us a lead on that perhaps we can discuss in a future episode. We would love to hear that at our email address. Uh, Black Magic Treehouse Pod is also the name of our Instagram page. So if you'd like to follow us there, um, maybe one of these days we'll get a handle on our Instagram page and do cute little things like teasers and video clips. Uh, For now, it's just another way of staying in contact. We'd love to uh, network with any other podcasts out there, by the way, that co- cover this type of material. I think we've gotten maybe one or two likes from uh, some other folks who host similar podcasts. And we're always on the hunt for those because obviously we love talking about this stuff. So we'd love to hear other people talk about it too. So get in touch with us on Instagram. And, uh, you know, frankly, I don't know if I'm going to mention the website because I've done absolutely nothing with it (laughs) basically everything that you might want to learn from us is uh going to be on our either on our instagram or uh just yeah the email was the other one okay this is going great you have anything to add eric before we close out today's episode on freaky stories samurai pizza cats is that a real one or are you making them up (laughs) 
I googled Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ripoffs, and uh, oh. let's see. It was an English adaptation of the Japanese anime Kayato Ninden. There might be more, but it trails off right there. I'll tell you the other one that I do remember, although in my memory this was not a Ninja Turtles ripoff, but the Wild West Cowboys of Moo Mesa. I recall Whoa. that one. That was a mouthful. Yeah. I think the the really long titles was kind of part of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, you know, the absurdity. Because there's also Invasion of the Punk Frogs, Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars, Kung Fu Dino Posse. Oh my god. And That's incredible. once again, Samurai Pizza Cats. Samurai Pizza Cats. Well... I don't know if I can say anything that could possibly top that, so I think we're going to close out with Samurai Pizza Cats. We hope you've enjoyed this episode about freaky stories and all the ripoffs of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Until next time, we will be up here awaiting your next visit. Be safe as you travel through those woods now. I'm going to stick my hand down under my chair. Oh, are we still... Uh, Okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was going to do a little closing bit about, you know, reassuring myself by sticking my hand under my chair and feeling my dog licking my hand. Dot, dot, dot. Go ahead and do it. Well, I think I just did. <laughs> well, the fact that you said you were going to do a bit, I don't think is the same as doing the bit. Uh, you know, for me, it is. Uh-huh.